Hello, frazzled women. Welcome to Le Vital Core Salon. If you're a type A, an imposter, an activity addict, or a recovering perfectionist who secretly craves a hug or a high five on your path to success, you're in the exact right place in time and space. I'm your host and salonier, Kara Martin-Snyder. Heads up. This podcast features adult women having adult and sometimes potty mouth conversation. If you have little ones or folks who won't pardon this kind of French around, please plug in your headphones now. Each episode, my job is to introduce you to a modern woman who is out there doing their thing and leaving their unique stain on the world without letting bullshit or burnout slow them down. Hello, frazzled women. Welcome to Le Vital Core Salon. Today, I want to introduce you to Angela Lucier, who has become one of my favorite people in the universe. And just to give you a little taste of what she's about, here's, here's what I've pulled from her bio. So Angela is a woman whose motto is stop waiting and start creating. That's her philosophy. She doesn't just walk her talk. She runs full sprint at it, likely wearing some brightly colored outfit. Most recently, she created the Speaking School for Women to train creative, entrepreneurial women to become well-paid and in-demand speakers. Even though she was a self-described shy girl, it didn't stop her from becoming an award-winning speaker with, get this, 500 presentations under her belt, including two TEDx talks. She is the host of Claim the Stage podcast, and her work has been featured on ABC, NBC, Forbes, and Entrepreneur. Angela, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here today. I'm psyched to have you because I feel like we're going to be able to talk for like two hours easily. (laughs) Yeah, when you said, well, maybe set aside like 90 minutes, I was like 90 hours or 90 minutes because we definitely have so so much to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely a lot of dovetails between our work these days. And so... I wanted to start, and so doing a little bit of research about you, you know, I I saw that you were also a comfiness master, and anyone (laughs) who's ever been to your house would 100% agree with that statement. How did you go from being a comfiness master and a self-described shy girl to creating a speaking school for women and beginning to lay the groundwork for a speaker sisterhood clubs to blossom all over the country? Well, I think my comfiness master status is separate from my shy girl status. So I'll address them to, uh, in, in two different ways. First, I'll start with the comfiness master because that's a really simple one. My, one of my philosophies besides stop waiting, start creating is why be medium comfy when you can be super comfy? <laughs> <laughs> and my husband will tell you that I take this idea of being comfy very seriously because I spend so much of my life out there pushing myself to do risky things and sort of push the limits of what I think is possible that when I'm at home, I want to be super comfy at all times to sort of counterbalance that. And so I always have lots of pillows, lots of blankets, the comfiest socks you've ever seen, like so many types of pajamas. And (laughs) it's just part of my personality that if I'm going to be chilling, I am super chilling. It is like, we're not doing anything today. Um, But to address the shy girl side of myself, I 
I just, I was such an insecure kid and so like uh, awkward in the world and uncomfortable with who I was and how I showed up. And I always was concerned of what people thought of me. And at the age of 12, I was already six feet tall. And that was traumatizing because the boys were half the size of me. And at that time, they didn't really make girls clothes that fit people my size. So I always had to wear like boys pants and I got made fun of all the time. I was called an ogre and the green giant. And it was just, it was really uncomfortable being a teenager and being me. And my way of dealing with that was by disappearing, just hiding, like trying to become a wallflower, trying to give people a reason to look the other way and not pay attention to whatever I was doing. And it wasn't until after college and my first job that I realized that was not the best tactic if I wanted to actually excel in my career. Because the people who blend in and the people who are afraid to be seen and be heard and take chances are the ones who sort of get left behind because they're not out there saying, hey, check this out. What do you think of this? Let's talk about it. Like, help help me build this. And when I had my first job, as a marketing director at a couple radio stations, I was asked to run staff meetings. I was asked to train people and supervise them. And as an extremely shy girl who felt insecure being asked to, to speak in any way, I felt like this is a skill I have to figure out. Otherwise, I'm never going anywhere. And that was when I joined Toastmasters at the age of 24, 25. And Toastmasters is an international nonprofit organization that has speaking clubs all over the world. And that was really the only resource available at the time for me to, you know, practice the skill that, you know, was something I ran away from for 10 years. And the first couple of meetings I attended, I didn't say a word. Actually, the first 12 meetings. Wow. Wow. I went probably one or two meetings before I said anything, but that's impressive. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in my mind, I was like, I'm learning how to do public speaking because I'm here, but I never spoke. And finally, the club president, after, you know, six months of that said, we're going to put you on the schedule to give a speech. And and I said, no, 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 I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And and he said, look, you're never going to be ready. You just have to start. And that was One of the best pieces of advice I've ever received because it's become part of my mindset in anything I do. And so as I started to give speeches and Toastmasters and build my confidence as a speaker, I left my job several years later and started a business and public speaking was my number one method of marketing. And over the years, I continued to give speeches. I became recognized as a speaker and started to kind of build my business around it. And that's when I realized, like, I have a skill that a lot of other women could use and could benefit from learning. And they ask me about it all the time. So why am I keeping all this stuff a secret? And that is when the Speaking School for Women was born. And the idea for the Speaker Sisterhood, the Speaking Clubs, and the idea for the podcast, Claim the Stage. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) your story is amazing because... I love the part in particular where you talk about you spent all of your formative years, your teenage years, trying to be invisible. And then when you started in the working world, you got put into this position where you had to be completely visible, leading meetings, leading events, 
doing those kinds of things, I mean, that had to be incredibly challenging for you at first. Oh my gosh, it was so jarring because the survival mechanism I put in place was the exact opposite of what I needed to be doing now. And it was it was terrifying. Every time I had to give a speech, I would lose sleep for a week. I would be like sweaty and my face would be bright red and I would just want to run out of the room and go hide and and not show myself, but realizing I'm I'm so happy that I realized that the people in my office who were most successful and respected and were seen as leaders were the ones who were excellent communicators and I really had to internalize that and say to myself what you did to get through your life for the last 10 years is no longer serving you you have to change your course and it was like not easy, especially at that age when I was like, you know, you kind of think you know everything. <laughs> you get that fancy college degree. Yeah, I was like, dude, I have a bachelor's degree. I know what I'm doing. But um, it was like very humbling and it was so scary. But it was the beginning of a journey that ultimately changed the course of my whole life. Yeah, and you have really gone almost completely in the opposite direction would you would you mind backing up and maybe taking a couple minutes to talk about the speaking school and talk about the speaker sisterhood clubs? Oh, sure. Well, when I gave speeches over the you know last seven years, um, I would often be asked questions from other women in business, like, "How do you know how what you're going to talk about, and how do you know how to put a workshop together?" And like, I'm shy, so how can I do what you're doing? And you know, a lot of these questions started to overlap. And I recognized that there was a real need and a real curiosity around how this whole world of public speaking could help women to not only become more visible in their business and build their brand, but also make money doing it. And so last January, just, you know, nine months ago, I set out to interview as many women as I could find who were solo business owners who had an interest in learning about speaking, but hadn't really started in that world too much yet. And I interviewed 75 of them and asked them, like, what what about public speaking is, is confusing to you? And if you were to get on stage, what would you want to know about making that talk successful? And after talking with so many women, I learned that what they really, really cared about and they wanted to know most was how the heck do I get started? I don't even know where to start and how can I do this in a way that's effective or, or efficient so that I can still run my business and not make a ton of mistakes. So I built this six-week online course called The Speaking School for Women where I teach how to build your speaker brand, how to market yourself in your industry, how to build a niche, how to figure out how much you should charge for your talks, how to build relationships with the right people and, and become known by meeting planners and the people who might hire you. And also pro tips, like when you're on stage, how do you do things so people see you as an expert? And when do you show up? And how do you deal with all the AV stuff? I mean, all of that stuff was never explained to me. So I made like 100,000 mistakes and was just, <laughs> I mean, I like, I would walk into conference, you know, conferences and 
expect that what we planned for me to talk about in my one hour workshop was what I was going to actually talk about. And then, you know, would be blindsided and told, no, actually, you're going to be doing a panel and it's an hour and a half long and you're going to be talking about a totally different subject and quickly found that the world of speaking is sort of like Murphy's Law at all times because there's constant change, you know, events, the nature of events is like managing details and managing fires and putting out fires. So as a speaker, you're constantly having to improvise and figure out what works best in that moment and how to think on your feet. And I just, I, I didn't know I was walking into all of that when I became a speaker. So I'm, I'm teaching a lot of that stuff in my class now so that these new speakers can be prepared and kind of have a better idea of what to expect. That is such an important point for people to hear, because I I think everyone thinks, you know, public speaking is so scary. And then there are all of these details around a speaking event. You know, Mm -hmm. will they I've I've had, I've had an opportunity to speak, and actually got the wrong address before I got there. Thankfully, I learned over the years to give myself plenty of time and be able to just like get a coffee locally or chill out or read a book in the waiting area or something like that. If I get there early, no big deal. But yeah, I mean, I went to the wrong address. And I think some of your horror stories (laughs) from the course, in a way, it's really good to hear because at the end of the day, you know, these are the these are our chances to to really shine because the other part that people can't see when you are met with a challenge like that, like you're in the wrong place, it's the building down the street or, you know, I, I think you get there and they're like, you're not going to be interviewed. You have to give a talk, which is one of my favorite of your your nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Um, but knowing knowing this is the case, I mean, I think sometimes this is also our opportunity to shine behind the stage. Because when event planners or the people putting something on recognize like, oh, we didn't give you the right information and you're able to roll with it, that's also when you get the callbacks from people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's another hidden benefit. And this is why I often refer to public speaking as getting a master's degree in your own psyche. Because <laughs> because when you're in that moment, when your name is on the program and people have shown up to that conference to see you speak and what you think you're going to do is totally different from what they present to you in that moment, you now have a chance to be resilient, to show yourself that you are stronger than you think, that you can improvise, you can think on your feet, you can come up with creative ideas that you never even knew were possible until you walked into that space and you were forced to do it. And I can't even tell you how many events and workshops and conferences I've walked out of feeling so proud of myself because I was challenged in that moment to do something I didn't think I could do. And then I rose to that challenge and I came up with something I never even thought I could think of and like until you're in those situations you don't even know that you can respond as well as you do and I don't know I I just learned so much about myself being uncomfortable in these like last minute uh, moments where I had to just kind of like come up with something and make it up off the top of my head absolutely and unless you know I'm missing something here. My heart is still beating. Your heart is still beating. And we've both lived to tell about those experiences. <laughs> yeah. So so for anyone listening who's thinking, oh, my God, I, I'm hearing these horror stories. And like, how could I possibly get into speaking? I mean, the reality is your voice matters. 
You will figure it out in that moment. And you might even just shine, but you will definitely live to tell about it. Absolutely. And a lot of people will ask me, like, what's my advice for for women who are nervous about being on stage or feel scared about giving a speech? And I often share this, I don't know, this concept I came up with early on when I was really, really scared of public speaking. And that was thinking about how long the universe has existed and, and thinking about how much longer the universe will exist and how small a portion of time we're in right now and how small we are in relation to the rest of the universe or the galaxy or, you know, all of the galaxies. Like, we are like little pieces of dust floating around in a huge expanse of time and space. And in the grand scheme of things, this talk isn't going to make or break anything. So relieving that pressure is a great place to start. And when I, whenever I was able to fully embody that, that mindset that I'm just here to have fun and entertain people and, and give them a good time, I was able to bring a much better presence to the room as the presenter instead of walking in there feeling like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. I had to be perfect. I had to win everyone over. I had to wow them. I had to change their life in the next 30 minutes. And instead, it was just this nice experience that we all got to have together. And in the end, it was it was better for everybody. But I mentioned that because, you know, there's there's being able to balance that mindset with also being creative in the moment and being able to kind of give the audience what they're looking for. So you kind of get this whole blend of experiences and mindsets that just come with the whole world of being a speaker. Very cool. Very cool. And if you, <laughs> if you don't mind, I want to back up because I think you know this about me, but I'm a pretty detailed person. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's the workaround that you came up with where you're sort of recognizing like we are a single speck of dust in time and space mm -hmm. at any given moment. But what is what is channeling that process look like for you in the moment? When I get to the event, I stay in my car for a couple of minutes because as an introvert, the second I enter the space, I'm already engulfed with other people's energy and I'm already sensing what's, what other people are thinking and what they're feeling. So I have to set the stage for myself before I even enter. And I'll sit in there and I'll think about, I'll close my eyes and I'll think about, I'll picture the universe, I'll think about the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should insert dinosaur noises here. Um, I'll, th I'll picture planets, I'll think about the stars, I'll think about oceans, just really big things that have surrounded us before our time, after our time, out in the galaxy. And it helps me to just kind of like get grounded and recognizing like, wow, there's a lot going on. This is not, <laughs> this is not the thing that's going to shape or, you know, blow up the whole entire planet. This is just a moment in time. Very cool. Thank you for going a little bit deeper on that. Sure. And can you talk to us a little bit about the Speaker Sisterhood Clubs? Yes. Actually, can I share a really quick story about when I used that example of the time and space concept and, and when it backfired? A hundred percent. Yes. All stories are welcome. <laughs> okay. I was in the limo on the way to my friend's wedding and I was uh, a bridesmaid and 
my friend, the bride, was just so nervous about delivering her vows in front of her friends and family. She was very shy. She didn't want to have to stand up in front of everybody. And her bridesmaid, her her maid of honor, her sister, said, Ange, aren't aren't you a public speaker? Can you give her some advice? Like, what, what would you do? How can you help her feel better? And I relayed my advice, like, well, you know what? This today doesn't even matter. It's, it's just a day. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just a day in the world. Like any other day, there's millions of years before us, millions of years to come. There are universes and galaxies. And I started talking about this and she, her jaw dropped and she looked at me like, what are you talking about? This is the most important day of my life. And I realized in that moment, like, wow, you know, audience matters. Like, you really have to think about <laughs> you really have to think about where you're sharing this advice and with who you're sharing it. So um, I kind of put my foot in my mouth in that moment, but I like was able to recover because I realized what I was saying and somehow brought it back to how meaningful her love was and that she should just have fun with it and. But I realized, like, you know, I got to I gotta think about where I share this advice. Cause <laughs> the intention was great. The yeah. delivery. <laughs> but to get back to your original question about the Speaker Sisterhood Clubs, what those are are um, a global network of speaking clubs for women who are creative and entrepreneurial, who want to really be able to discover what's true for them and share that in a safe space. And the reason I kind of frame it in that way is because oftentimes when we're asked to public speak, it's in front of our colleagues, in front of a board of directors, at a conference, in front of you know people who we may not know that well, and in a context where we're we're talking about our work, you know, maybe we're sharing a report we did or projections or advice or running a workshop. And we're not usually able to infuse our personality, infuse our personal stories. And I want there to be a place for women to be able to talk about the things that are important to them while also building their confidence in those stories and in, in their life experiences. And, it's interesting because, like I said earlier, I was so shy growing up. I never really talked about anything important to me. I just kept a lot of that stuff to myself. I would write it down. I would work on art, arts and crafts projects. But I wouldn't sit down with my girlfriends and say, like, you know, I really feel sad today. And I, I feel like there's a, a hole in the world and I want to fill it. And I don't know how. Like, I would never say stuff like that. I just didn't know how to articulate it. And I didn't feel like anyone else really cared or wanted to hear it. And so the idea for the speaker sisterhood was not only to create a place to practice public speaking, but to build a tribe or a family of women who could come together every couple of months and talk about the things that are important to them in a forum where other women are supportive and could empower them and allow them to build confidence in those ideas and in their mission and in their past so they could then go out and share those ideas in public, at work, um, maybe in community groups, wherever appropriate. And up until now, I've never heard of a group like that that existed. And I thought, I need to be the person who builds this because public speaking has been so central to me developing my self-esteem, my sense of of self-awareness. And I want to bring that to other women. 
and bringing it you are i mean for <laughs> for those of uh, for those people listening i was able to attend one of the first meetings um here in western massachusetts and it was fantastic you know i think you know for me a lot of what drives me and i, I hear this in in your story as well like it's sort of like if what you need doesn't exist we have to create it yeah and you know i think for me over the past 7 years it's a, it's been about bringing women together it's a it's vital core because it's about building a core of assertive healthy non-frazzled women out in the world yeah and i think sitting in on the speaker sisterhood club was amazing because I don't know how you did it. I mean, some days I think you're a magician and you should have that as your title as well. <laughs> but you brought out such a loving, kind, also scared group of, of fledgling public speakers. And everyone was so supportive. Like within 15 minutes, everyone was really cheering each other on, you know, encouraging each other to talk and, you know, practically signing each other up for for future speeches at future yeah. meetings. It was really impressive. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I think environment and tone and energy make a huge difference whenever you get a group of people together. And when you're leading that group, you have to set that tone and build the right environment that makes people feel comfortable. And everyone has to be clear on what we're aiming for. So I was really excited when we had everyone go around the circle asking, why are you here? What do you want to learn? And everybody's reason for coming was aligned with our reason for building the club. And that's when I knew we've achieved clarity. And when people know what to expect and they're there for the right reasons, I think it creates a level of comfort that, you know, really like is a catalyst for what we're, we're there to do. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait to see where the it terrace. goes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so thank you for your, for your observations and your sharing your experience. Cause that is what exactly what I want to create. And I left feel left. I left that night feeling like, okay, we're doing it. Like we're going in the right direction. This is very cool. Yeah. And I think it really embodied your, your comfiness. <laughs> you know, it, it it had the comfiness to it. It, it really, I mean, it was a good space. But just the fact that everyone relaxed when yeah. we were actually talking about something that most people will answer is scarier than death. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you ask when you ask people what they're afraid of, they will often answer public speaking more often than they will say death. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you were able to to pull that off and make it a comfy and spa safe space for people to share. And be vulnerable about that. Like, hey, public speaking scares the hell out of me. But we're all here to learn. It yeah. was fantastic. You just gave me an idea to create the comfiness center for public speaking <laughs> in the future. Oh, my like a, God. A, yes, a retreat please. center just covered in pillows and blankets and people can practice public speaking in the comfiest place ever. <laughs> yes. I, I think you could probably get Fat Boy to be a sponsor with their big bean bags. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. But I, I also wanted to ask you another question. You know, you've created the speaking school for women. You've created the speaker sisterhood clubs. I mean, 
without stalking you online and knowing you as a friend, I also know you've created the Claim the Stage podcast and you've been the author of three books. So in my world of private conversations over the last seven years, one of the things that I hear from, you know, just sort of listening in and observing, talking to frazzled women, lots of type A women, so they're out getting shit done just like you are. But one of the things I've noticed is there's a lack of celebration around those achievements. How do you take time and celebrate like what you're creating? That's an interesting question because I don't I don't really think of all the stuff you named like the books and the podcast and the clubs and stuff as accomplishments or achievements. I think of them as steps or experiments. And so I don't do a lot of traditional celebrating, like everybody let's get together and clank glasses and, you know, celebrate. Like I, I, my celebration is observing what happened as a result of those steps or experiments and sitting back and understanding how that book I just wrote impacted the people I want to help, how writing that book helped me understand myself more, how putting the Speaker Sisterhood Clubs together is helping to refine my vision and how can I get the word out in different ways. Like, I guess I celebrate by tweaking things. (laughs) (laughs) So you're like a scientist. You have one of these notebooks and you're like, did hypothesis, did this hypothesis work? Yeah, exactly. And I actually, I have a lab coat that says Dr. Lucier that I often wear in my office because I call it the Mad Scientist Laboratory. And because all of these things I'm doing to me are just like, they're experiments. I'm just like throwing stuff out there and just saying like, well, will this work? And so I don't really see them as accomplishments the way other people do. But I mean, I often take vacations and take time off to just like chill out and do other things besides work. So I guess in some ways, I'm at least taking a pause to acknowledge what I have done. Okay, so you are taking that pause, because that's one of the things I see. And honestly, one of the things I'm guilty of myself sometimes is finishing a project, finishing something, and then already be thinking about what are the tweaks that I'll make? What's the next thing? What's the next iteration? How can I make this type of session better? Like all of those things. And and not necessarily taking that time to just acknowledge, wow, I did a lot of hard work there. I made this thing that didn't exist before. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking I never consciously sit down like with a cup of tea and a blanket and, and look out the window and say, what have I accomplished? And how did it feel? Like, I don't do it that way. It's kind of like I'm driving like a bat out of hell down the highway. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know what? Like, all of a sudden, like something will pop into my head, like a blog post I wrote a week ago and a response I got to it. And then things will start to click in my mind. And I'll go, oh, okay, that's what I meant to say. And here's what I'm going to do with it. And it'll just come at random times. And I'll just try to like somehow capture that. (laughs) But there is also the time off, like discovering hiking this year was such a huge thing for me to be able to disconnect from all the brain stuff and just get into my body and experience the world in a totally different way. So that has been just such a big deal for me to be able to like separate 
all the thoughts because I my brain is just like a cotton candy machine. Like it's just constantly constantly swirling and making things that are just like <laughs> sweet and cute and like want to be eaten by someone. <laughs> it's like nonstop. So being out on the trail, like I'm able to turn my my brain down a little bit and just look at the trees and enjoy a toad jumping by and like just just be out there and i guess in some ways that's that's sort of the unplug that that helps me to be more creative when i am working and that's an important point i think when people think about doing creative things, there's this element of like, you're creative, then you're more creative, then you keep being creative. And it's this avalanche rolling down a hill. But I think you bring up a really good point around having to balance that energy. Mm -hmm. You know, that there's a time to be creative and productive with that. And there's also a time to sort of be playful and step back from that. Yep. And it sounds like hiking is one of the ways for you. Are there other ways, like for women who can't get away for a week or two? You know, I think it's different for everyone. I find in going to yoga class that helps a lot too because I can really just like settle into a pose and start noticing like, well, that feels weird on my arms or my back kind of feels funky today or like my legs are really tight and just kind of put the focus on other parts of my body than just what's above my neck. Um, but I think it's it's a process of just trying a lot of stuff because if someone told me last year like you should go for a hike you'll feel better I'd be like whatever like don't tell me what to do (laughs) but like actually going out and just trying it was such a cool experience so I think the best advice I could give to women who want to kind of get out of their head and get out of that like thinking work zone is to just pick like four things that they've never tried before and just go out and do them and maybe four is too many maybe just one but like joining a, a team, like I know a couple of my friends are on a, like an adult volleyball team and they love that because they could just go run around and like, you know, bounce off people and jump and throw things and they like that. And then I have a couple of friends who are, they do roller derby and they're just, you know, hauling ass around a roller skating rink for hours and that's fun to them. So I think like the physical element is such a good balance for, you know, all of the brain time. And, you know, I know people sometimes watch movies because they like the, they like the character development or the plot or they, you know, they enjoy the genre. I watch movies and TV so I can like actually shut off my brain. Like that's like the only thing I can do to get my brain to just chill out. And it's just a total escape. And it's just like, something I have to do sometimes. Otherwise, I feel like smoke is going to come out of my ears. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm laughing on the other end because I can put on a movie and I get so sucked in and so (laughs) like pulled into the into the characters or into the plot that sometimes like even when the movie's off, my brain is sort of creating the the part two of that film. Mm-hmm. It's And I'm thinking of, oh, my God, here's all the stories that, that could come out of it. So it's so funny how something that's such a similar activity, like you, that helps you just sort of shut off. And, you know, as, as Julia Roberts once said in Pretty Woman, lay like broccoli, you know, just vegging out. And for me, sometimes that can really stoke creative fires for me. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So, Angela... One of the other things I wanted to ask you today is, 
you know, some of the women listening to us today might be thinking, okay, Angela's done all this amazing stuff, the speaking school, the podcast, an author. How? Or even worse, they might be thinking, I can't do that. That's cool that she's doing it, but I can't do that. What do you have to say to the doubters? Well, first first thing is, I'm just like you. I'm, I'm just like the doubters. Because I think the same thing all the time. Like, I might see someone's profile on Instagram or read a blog post from someone with an impressive list of accomplishments and think, why can't I do that? And it's so funny because we all sort of have this like comparison thing going on all the time. Like, oh, she she's so much better than me and why am I not able to do what she does? And here's what I've learned about myself. I respond that way when I know I'm not working to my greatest potential. And I think it's it's natural to respond that way because when we see someone else doing something that we could be doing, it shines a light on the fact that we're not. So I guess the question to ask yourself when you find yourself comparing yourself or saying, well, how is she doing all of that is to instead ask, like, why am I not working to my greatest potential? Because I think it's easier to assume that that person was given a handout or has superhuman powers that, you know, it enables her to do more. But really, it's a chance for you to ask yourself the hard questions. And I don't think I'm special, and I don't think I have any great gifts. I The thing that sets me apart from the people who don't have a list of all kinds of things they've done is that I just keep creating things and seeing what happens. And I think if we all approached our work with the mindset of it all being an experiment with an outcome, and not an outcome like right or wrong or good or bad or success or failures, just an outcome we would be more apt to follow through on our ideas. And I think the problem that a lot of people run into isn't, isn't that they don't know what to do, it's that they're afraid of being wrong. And once the idea of being wrong is completely off the table, my question is, what's standing in your way? So I guess that's how I feel about that. <laughs> Ooh. No, it- that is really fantastic information for people to hear. You know, I I do think you are a pretty special person, though. I, I, I won't let you discount yourself completely on this show. Okay. <laughs> but I think, you know, one of the things as you were talking that I was thinking about is you don't just sit on your skills. Like, mm-hmm. you are actually someone who is up, moving around, taking chances, making stuff, writing stuff, putting it out there, hitting, hitting record, hitting hitting send and and getting it done. And I imagine there have been some experiments that have blown up in your face over the years. Mm-hmm. But I imagine you also learn from them. Absolutely. Every single I learn more from my mistakes than I do the things that pan out exactly as I planned. Like that's and and you remember those moments of feeling ashamed or feeling embarrassed or weird because it's so emotional and you think, I don't ever want to do that again. But it's so huge because you realize so much in that moment. And one thing, when I was writing my last two books, I would sit down at my computer every morning. I had a, a schedule. I would write for two hours every day. And some days I'd be able to sit down and pick up right where I left off and it was fine. And other days I would sit down and I would go into this like mental torture device where I would be like, 
what are you doing? Why are you writing this? Nobody cares what you have to say. And you're not like, you're not as cool as you think you are. (laughs) (laughs) You're not a writer. Like just all the stuff that came from somewhere and was trying to stop me from writing these books. And so what I had to do almost probably two or three times a week was do this little exercise that I created for myself called an outcome playing field where I would draw a line on one side of a sheet of paper and one on the other end with a line connecting them. So there was like this huge sort of like spectrum I created. And on one end, it was worst case scenario. And on the other end, it was best possible outcome. And I had to write all the things that could happen as a result of me writing this, these books on the spectrum. And when I was having this imaginary daydream leading up to doing this exercise, I was telling my things like, people are going to read this book and think you are the biggest dumbass. And they're going to like (laughs) tell their friends and they're going to throw you out of this industry. You're going to have to sell your house and move into a van down by the river. Your husband's going to leave you. Your cats aren't even going to look at you anymore. You're going to lose everything you care about. I mean, it was like (laughs) the worst case scenario central. Absolutely. And when I actually sat down and did the exercise, I'm like, okay, I, I don't understand how writing a book is connected with losing my house. Like that, those two things don't really connect. <laughs> like uh, what, what exactly is going to happen in order for me to lose my house? So I had to write down real scenarios, like the worst case scenario, the absolute worst case scenario that comes from writing a book is that no one reads it. Like I couldn't think of anything worse in the real world. And the best possible outcome was, you know, becoming a New York Times bestseller and helping millions of people and making a real difference with my words. So once I was able to actually put my fears into the real world and see them in front of me, I was able to get back to writing and get back focused on what I wanted to do. And I think that's a really important step to take if you're someone who stops yourself through limiting beliefs, through imagined fears, through stories you believe to be true, because you have to be able to land yourself back in reality and see that whatever you're about to do, no matter what, you're going to be okay. Absolutely. And in my world, I often talk about that as sort of dealing with the itty bitty shitty committee that lives (laughs) inside of our head, right? And I've always gone to this image that it's it's kind of like the British House of Parliament, like where they're all like wearing wigs and yelling in their seats and you're just kind of in the middle of it. And it's a lot of noise in there some days, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so I like what you're doing where you're just like sort of drawing it out. Like, all right, all right, fuck this noise. (laughs) Like, let's just put it on paper and see what's the best thing that can happen by me applying effort to this project or what's the worst thing that can happen? Mm-hmm. And then you dissecting them in terms of reality. Like to your point about you losing your house is not going to be the direct outcome of you taking two hours a day to write a book for a few months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it seemed really real before it came, before it was on the outside. Absolutely. Like it was going to happen tomorrow, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> they were, no, they were already on their way to... To take away your house keys and take away the deed, you know, as you were typing. Yeah, they were already parking the van down by the river. It was like all set. (laughs) Hilarious. Your neighbor was Chris Farley. (laughs) That would actually be great. 
So you've been able to bravely take on all sorts of different projects. And I, if you don't mind, I want to jump backwards in time a little bit and talk about, you know, when I first relocated from New York to Western Mass, I had seen you speak and it sort of reached out and was like, this girl seems cool. Maybe like we could actually be friends. And, we, you know, and we met up for tea. And I, I first came to know you as an entrepreneur. And, you know, I've seen some of your metamorphoses over the last metamorphoses, metamorphosi, whatever. Metamorphoses? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing English skills today. But I guess, you know, I've seen all of these transitions you've made. How did you go from from a focus on entrepreneurship to a focus on public speaking? It was... It was not expected, I'll tell you that. In 2014, I, well, in, tw in 2009, the business model I started with was one-on-one -on -one coaching and consulting. And my main revenue stream came from these sessions, 60-minute sessions I would have with clients where I would sit down and help them build a resume, help them determine if they wanted to start a business. And when my first book came out, that was a very small revenue stream. And then when I started to get more speaking gigs, that was my third revenue stream. But I realized that I was not building a scalable business and I was going to always have to hustle and figure out ways to get new clients to sign on and keep them while also making sure they were growing. And it just seemed like this is never going to grow into anything. Like it's a, it's sort of sustainable in that I can pay my bills, but how can I build something bigger than me? And in 2014, I created an online community called the Do and Make Business District, which was a monthly membership fee for new entrepreneurs to join and take classes with me through online video. And I created worksheets and challenges and uh, a forum for them to talk to each other. And I was really happy because I felt like I had solved my problem while also solving their problem in creating a scalable business that's helpful for my target audience. But after running it for about a year, I felt like this isn't actually what I wanted to build. I thought it was, but it was another experiment that had gone wrong because I was sitting at home every day shooting these videos, editing them, working on worksheets, doing coaching calls online and over the phone. And I never saw anybody. I was at home all the time by myself. And I'm like, I want to build something that involves like seeing people and <laughs> feeling like I'm part of something and I'm building a real community around something that I, I, I care about. And, you know, I care about entrepreneurship, but I was like, what is it that like I'm really trying to do here? And when I was able to boil it down, I realized I wanted to help people live a life that was truer to who they were. And that had been my mission from day one. And so I used that as my starting sort of thesis to this whole like re evolution of my business. And I sat down one night and I said, all right, I know I want to help people find their truth in, in their work and in their life, but what does that mean? So I asked myself three questions. One was, where have I been most successful? The second was, what do I really enjoy doing? And the third was, what do people ask me about the most? And I just made lists under each question and then I went back through the lists and I circled the words that were consistent in all three lists. And the only one that was consistent in all three places was public speaking. And up until that moment, 
I didn't really ever consider myself as someone who could teach this skill or teach the business of public speaking because it was always like a side dish in my business to the, the coaching, the business coaching. But when I looked at these lists and I thought about what I was doing and helping people find their truth, I thought these things are actually perfectly aligned and I don't know why it took me this long to see it. <laughs> and it, I think I actually did laugh out loud at myself and was like, duh, hello. Um, I don't know what I've been doing this whole time. So it became crystal clear to me in that moment that I had to close my online community and I had to shift and just refocus on what I really, really wanted to be doing. And the decision to make the speaking school and the speaking clubs for women was probably the hardest decision I had to make out of the whole transition from business coaching to public speaking coaching because I had to address the fact that I didn't think I was very feminine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and how I did you how did you find that? Like where did that that point jump up and and stab you a little bit? Well, I was doing a lot of journaling at this time. Like it was over the course of like Christmas break of 2015 and I was um, waking up really early because I wanted to just kind of like work through my thoughts on what all of this meant to me. Like, okay, now I know I want to do this thing, but like, what is it going to look like and how am I going to work it out? And this idea came to me around helping women find their voice because I understood that struggle so well versus helping anybody discover their voice because I've helped men and women, you know, the whole time and never thought twice about trying to pick one or the other. But in this particular instance, the question came up because I had seen so many other women struggle with their confidence and struggle with speaking up for themselves in a way that honored what they cared about and what they really wanted. And I never, I got the impression that men had that same struggle in the same way. So I wanted to come at it from this angle of like us as women, like we have different struggles and we have different challenges when it comes to speaking up. So I think I want to go in that direction. And as I started to write about how I would talk to them about it and how I would represent myself, I started to un uncover the fact that I'm a tomboy and why would other women listen to me? Because I don't even think I'm that feminine to believe to begin with. So I ran this idea by a couple of my friends and I was so nervous to bring it up because it was like really deeply embedded in me somewhere that this belief I had that I was not actually feminine was true. And I was scared that if I asked them if they felt I was feminine, they would say no. And then it would confirm it and I would be back at square one. And so I, I asked a couple of my closer friends that I've known like my whole life. And I was like, I think I asked them out to dinner and I had like more drinks than usual. Cause I was, <laughs> I think a conversation like that might need an extra drink or two. <laughs> Cause it was just getting at something so deep in there that I had kept private for so long. And I asked them, I told them what I wanted to do. And I said, you know, I'm building this, this speaker school for women. And I really want to help women empower them and give them their voice and, and build confidence. And I guess I just have one thing stopping me. Um, I just don't think I'm feminine enough. 
And I looked at them and they just looked at me and they were like, are you kidding? Was it the slow blink? Like where they were all trying to take in what you were saying? (laughs) They're like, wait, that's the question? I'm like, yeah. They're like, what? Of course you're feminine enough. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, well, and I just like went on this like long rant. Like, you know, I mean, I, I never wore dresses in high school. <laughs> and I like hung out with so many guys. And sometimes I feel like I relate to guys more than I relate to girls. And I just like basically unloaded all of these feelings and stories I had been telling myself for a long time. And, and they both just said, like, that's crazy. You could do this in a heartbeat and you'd probably be perfect for it. So go for it. And then I asked some other women that haven't known me my whole life, but I've known for the last couple of years. And they looked at me like I was crazy, too. And they're like, you're probably the best <laughs> person to do that. So why don't you get get going and stop wasting your time on this stupid question? <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess that was it. And I'm I'm still discovering exactly what all of this means to me and what it will become and how it can really be the most useful resource and training for women. And that's what's one that's one of the things that's coolest about it is just that it's constantly revealing itself to me. And it seems like you have so many different directions or pieces you can sort of dial up or fade into background or or change in this work like it seems very flexible from the outside looking in yeah yeah I feel the same way like they all play really well together and sometimes one can can be bigger and other things can be smaller and we can just make everything elastic as it goes so yeah I agree it it feels really good like I've built something coherent (laughs) finally (laughs) (laughs) finally the, the true entrepreneurial struggle Like sometimes it takes a lot of effort, right? It really does. And for years, people would say to me, like, you're so successful. And as soon as someone would say that to me, I would immediately feel bad because I would think like somehow I'm projecting this image of success. But deep down, I feel like I have not figured anything out because I'm just like doing all of these (laughs) things that are not panning out. So thank you for saying that. But that's just not true. (laughs) And I think that is a deep part of what it's like to be a creator, to be an entrepreneur, you know, I mean, it can look different, you know, across different industries. But it it seems like that is part of the struggle. I mean, full disclosure, I mean, I experience a lot of the same thing. Like, I even think back to a moment where I had accepted a challenge to fundraise, like to do like a fundraising sprint. And it was raise the most money you can in 10 weeks. And kind of like you, I'm always like, "Eh, this is going to nudge me right out of my comfort zone. And so when a friend approached me, I said yes, even though I am not a fundraiser by any stretch of the imagination, would never identify with that word. You know, honestly, I mean, I think it even brought up some uncomfortable money issues for me. Mm. You know, that I wasn't part of that scene of people who go to charity dinners every night of the week. And I think saying yes to that and and sort of going through that process and having so much fun in the process, like the campaign was weird. I took a very um, different approach. It was lots of middle fingers. It was lots of storytelling. It was lots of goofy social media graphics and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, um, I ended up winning the award 
for most unique campaign. And I was standing up on stage and there were, you know, it was an entire giant room, all fancy decorated in Boston. And I was standing there on the stage holding this award and having them announce me. And literally all I could think was, does this whole room of people have any clue that I had no idea what I was doing for the last 10 weeks? (laughs) I can relate to that. (laughs) Right? And it's, I mean, I think that's, you know, I think when you think about success, sometimes it does feel funny like that, right? Mm -hmm. But were you able to get perspective after the fact? Like when you look back on that night now, do you think, wow, I totally worked hard and deserve that award? Or do you still feel like they gave that to the wrong person? No, I definitely, it it took a couple days. Um, I think, you know, in terms of running a coaching practice, in terms of taking on a campaign like that, and, and, you know, I think we're friends because we both do everything at like 110% most of the time. Like you even take, you even take comfiness to 11. (laughs) So I think... You know, it took a little bit of time and it also took me sort of going away like the very next day to decompress at a lake house somewhere in Quebec to just like sleep 12 to 14 hours a day for a few days, slow it all down and kind of have some space to do some journaling and like, okay, what just happened in the last 10 weeks and kind of recognize like, wait a minute, that wasn't that that was cool. And also, oh, my God, I guess I am a fundraiser because we ended up raising $41,000 in 10 weeks. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that sounds like a fundraiser. Yeah, that would be a a fundraiser. (laughs) So, Angela, I want to be cognizant of your time because I know you are, in fact, a very busy woman. And I have some shorter form kind of tiny bubble-like questions I try to ask all of my guests. They're known as the champagne questions. And so do you mind if we go through some of these? And I want to I hear sort of your gut response. Okay, yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So one of the first ones, music is really big in my world. So what song pumps you up or soothes you the most when you need it? I have to say Sloop John B by the Beach Boys. Do you know that song? Ooh, I totally know that song. I love that song. It makes me so happy. I think I heard it a bunch of times when I was a kid and then didn't hear it again until like recently. And it somehow brought all these happy memories back. And the funniest thing about that song is like, they're just singing about a boat. And that just always makes me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the rare songs when they were talking about a boat and not a car, right? Or a surfboard. Yeah. (laughs) Or a surfboard. Cool. And what book, film other type of art do you go back to when you need some inspiration? I'd have to say none of them, which makes me feel kind of like a loser, but it's mostly because I find more inspiration in nature, just being outside by myself. Cause I can actually like think clearer when I'm alone and there isn't a lot going on around me. And I think the continuous movement of walking and being in a quiet place just leads to new ideas revealing themselves. So I'd probably say none of the above. Cool. And I I mean, there is a meditative aspect to walking like you're describing, right? Yeah. Cool. What's your favorite tool, app, or gadget these days? 
I have to go with the old fashioned pen or pencil and paper. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not colored markers? No, I love pencils. Like I have a, a really awesome pencil sharpener that I will have until the day I die because it's just, it's such a, like I love holding a, a sharpened pencil in my hand and having a piece of crisp white paper in front of me. I feel like the possibilities are endless and it just makes me so happy. Yay, lo-fi gadgets. <laughs> and this one's a little bit of a, a maybe a tougher question, but how would you define being a modern woman in 2016? Well, I think it requires a ton of focus to not only take your eye off what's right for or to not take your eye off what's right for you. Um, like I'm 35 and I think I'm still probably only 10% into the journey of really knowing myself. And I try really hard every day to be self-aware and conscious of how I want to show up in the world, but I'm always changing and being influenced by things and, you know, trying new things out. So I think being a modern woman means being open to growth, but also being able to be honest with yourself about what you want and what you don't want, because it's definitely easy to be swayed and look for approval, but to do life right, you've got to know what's good for you first. Well said. I mean, the idea of doing life right, so important. You mentioned women knowing what they want and kind of what they don't want. And so jumping from, from that question, I have two other questions for you. What would you like to see more modern women give a shit about? And conversely, what would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about? Well, not to sound like a, a broken record, but I think women should give more of a shit about being out in the woods. I don't know how many women listening to the show go out into nature and walk around. And I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, Buddha and, and recommending like, you know, you have to go sit under this tree and you have to meditate all day. Cause it's not that it's more like just reconnect, reconnecting with what's sacred, sacred in our world and like getting away from the electronics and all of the influence and the noise of the world and just like letting things be quiet because like I feel like so much shows up when you just allow yourself to be quiet. And then as far as women giving less of a shit, I think they should give less of a shit about doing everything right. And I think they should stop it because <laughs> it's it's not a contest. <laughs> Fair enough. Challenge There's... yourself to do it wrong. <laughs> yeah, and you know, in terms of it not being a contest, like I jokingly tell people all the time, like stop comparing your apples to somebody else's oranges. Like yeah. we we're so busy about what's happening around us sometimes. Yep. And then I want to I want to give you the floor for a couple of moments. What do you most want the Vital Core Salon listeners to know? Well, you know, I, as I've mentioned and I think I've made clear in my my answers to your questions that you know I'm on this evolving journey that constantly reveals new pieces of itself every day but as of today I think what I really want your listeners to know is that we as women have to be strong leaders for the next generation 
I don't see a lot of role models in pop culture that our young women can follow. Yet that's where they turn for guidance. So I think we all need to step up by owning our truth of who we are and what's important to us and speak up about it. And our voice is one of the most important things we have. And I don't see enough women using it. And I think that needs to change. So I most want them to know that we have the choice to be strong leaders. We just have to step into that position. And what I'm building in my business right now, I believe, are the tools to get there. So I want to invite everyone listening to you know, get on my newsletter list to follow the journey, follow me on Instagram and try and like see what you could be doing in your own community just to build programs, to get involved, to, to share your story. Cause I think that's really what the world needs. The world absolutely does need that. And I, I think, you know, as I think about our whole conversation today, I mean, what you're teaching, I, I think, it's packaged in the idea of public speaking, right? And I think people sometimes get this image that it's, you have to be this woman in a suit behind a podium to really be leveraging your voice in a real and impactful way. But what I can tell you from the work that I do, you know, I I see women so much in seven years fail to advocate for themselves and mm-hmm. fail to negotiate for themselves. And I think the work that you're putting out in the world really does impact both of those two things that I see behind the scenes a lot of the time. And I, I think, you know, hopefully hearing hearing us talk today and, and hearing hearing what you just said, that women recognize that it's it's not just public speaking behind a podium, it's really being an advocate and negotiating for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, and, and please. And just stating what what's true for you. Like, I feel sad today. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm concerned about my future. I'm worried about this. Like, I feel like the more we're able to just state those internal fears and, and struggles with each other, the stronger we become because, A, we realize we're not alone. Like, every time I share, like, I'm having a crappy day and here's why and I'm, I'm sad about this, the person I'm talking to is like, oh, I feel the same way. <laughs> It's like hilarious to me because you think you're the only person going through it. So there's that opportunity for connection, but there's also that opportunity to strengthen our voice and recognizing that we have something valuable to say and it needs to be heard in any forum. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of vulnerability lends to such a deep and real connection with other women. Like, for example, I spoke to a whole room full of doctors here in Western Mass uh, a couple of weeks ago. And these are, there were radiologists, there were emergency medicine doctors, but they were all women. They're all educated to the hilt, uber professional. Like they are saving lives, which is something a lot of us can't say on a regular day. And I think what totally blew my mind as I talked to them about stress and about making choices and thinking about what's important for all of them, and then actually kind of giving some space to hear from them, like what some of their challenges were. It was mind-blowing to see as soon as one person said, I'm really challenged by physical activity, fitting that in. And then, you know, I just simply asked the question, anybody else? And like four more hands went up 
And then a conversation went on for 20 minutes where they all exchanged different ideas about how to make that happen. But had they been sort of going along with their day-to-day without that, they never would have known that they had four other advocates, you know, four other potential, you know, physical fitness partners or, or people that were getting it done were sharing what was working for them with the people that weren't. I mean, it was just an amazing and collaborative process to see. But I think we forget sometimes because we don't just say, I'm having trouble with this. Yeah. Yep. Totally. So please keep doing what you're doing, Angela. It is so needed. <laughs> I will. And if, if some of the frazzled women listening want to learn more about you and your work, how can they best do that? The best place would be at my website, AngelaLucier.us. And I'm on all the social media platforms, but my favorite that I'm obsessed with is Instagram. And my handle is at AngelaLucier. Awesome. And for everyone listening, I'll be including that in the show notes that will go up on the website when this podcast rolls out. So you will have that information and it'll be really easy for you to find. And Angela, I I really want to sincerely thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and letting me also keep you from putzing around in nature and sort of taking that <laughs> in and restoring yourself and and stopping by Le Vital Course Salon to share some of your knowledge and, and your passion. So thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I, I'm happy to come on the show anytime. Yay, perhaps there'll be a part two, ladies. (laughs) All right, thanks again. Thanks. Hiya, this is Kara again. Thanks for tuning in. All of today's show notes can be found at Le Vital Course Salon and then clicking on blog. New shows will be up the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month, so stay tuned and do come back. Before I bounce, I want to give a big merci beaucoup to my producer Craig Snyder and to Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone and the High Dials for my most excellent theme music. And don't forget women, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let burnout or bullshit slow you down. Until next time.